Again, bonus actually, because it's the holidays. So I figured I would break up the interviews that I got in two separate episodes so that you could enjoy them accordingly. The second episode focuses on the experience of students at the Student Diversity Leadership Conference. Again, in my time as an educator, particularly in independent schools, it is an experience that I have seen students have and be transformed by for many years. And so I recently joined the faculty in the last five years and have had the distinct pleasure in working with students and seeing how that transformative feeling comes about. And so in this, it's 30th year, I thought it'd be great if we could get the founder, one of the co-founders, Rodney Glasgow, on to talk about what that experience is and how it came to be because it truly is a unique experience. I recommend going to SDLC for all students in independent schools, no matter who I talk to. So we're going to have them on in a few. And I hope you enjoy. Taking Notes with Dr. John Carroll is powered by Bixie Pots, makers of high-quality shea butter that keeps the body moisturized for the whole day. Visit BixiePots.com today. Well, it's an absolute pleasure this week to welcome into my office, Dr. Rodney Glasgow, even though he does not often like to be called that unless it's a national broadcast, but I like to make sure mm -hmm. to offer the proper salutations and recognition of his work. He is a number of things, a head of school. He is a head of a, a business and consulting group, the Glasgow Group, which does work all over the country. Um, but for the purposes of this say chat he is he is one of the co-founders of the student diversity leadership conference which complements the people of color conference put on by the national association of independent schools and just wanted to give him an opportunity uh to reflect and and revel in the accomplishment that is 30 years of sdlc so rodney welcome thank you thank you always good to be with you indeed indeed and, and i gotta say you know, and I tell you this occasionally, I believe, but I'll say it now to start this. I always feel like I'm late. I, I have been late to the party in terms of SDLC. Um, it's been a pleasure these last five years to work with you. Um, but as someone who went to POCC for, for many years, I wish I had gotten on um, and into the family that I've now been adopted into earlier. Um, because this work that you do is so transformational and that's not even being hyperbolic because it's a word I hear every year from students, both the ones that I work with, you know, at the conference and the ones that I return back to school with. So, you know, I wish I had been able or had the foresight or ability to jump in earlier, but I'm glad that I'm now say in the number that you can rely on to be part of uh, SDLC every year. I'm curious for you, what was the first one like? You know, don't know what was that first experience like when you are a student at, say, Gilman High School, and there right. is just a seed. 
So it's the SLC has an interesting history because I was there 28 out of the 30. So the question always comes up, well, how can you be a founder and you wasn't there in the beginning? <laughs> <laughs> And and that just if you know SCLC, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> what should I do? <laughs> but it's because there were two previous they weren't even called SDLCs, but they were student conferences of whatever name that LAIS had put on before I joined. And um they were well intentioned, but they were not as well programmed. They did not go well. Um in terms of just you know, you, you come up with an idea and you, and you try it. And this is from the folks, the students and the adults who were there. You come up with an idea, you try it. And what came out of those two SDLCs were, okay, adults are willing to bring their kids to a conference like this. Okay. Now, that's the biggest question mark was if we build it, will they come? Okay, they will come. And now we need to figure out what is it that we're building. So in the wisdom of NEIS, this is now 1995 um, when NAIS, so 93, 94 were the first two. 95 NAIS is like, well, let's take a step back. We know that this model will work. We can have the People of Color Conference, which already exists, and have people bring students to a student conference. But what do we really want to have happen at the student conference? And the thing that they built into this DNA, that that, that became SDLC, um, was that rather than them try to figure it out, they said, we need some students to build this thing for us and let them figure it out, let them dictate what it is that they're going to need. Revolutionary for the 90s, right, because the 90s was the time where we were just really starting to do diversity. We need some of the first diversity directors in the country. Yes, yes. And so already being student-centered in that way was, was beautiful. There were 50 of us. We were in Philadelphia, and we were 50 folks who didn't, we didn't like sign up. That wasn't, the, it wasn't no registration. You kind of had to be connected to an adult who was connected to NEIS in some way. And that work of the People of Color Conference, I was connected to Johnny Foreman. Mm -hmm. And Johnny Foreman's like DEI extraordinaire. <laughs> And one of the first faculty members of color at Gilman School had gotten there in the 70s, was still there in the 90s when I was there. Right. And he was the athletic director, not the diversity director, because we didn't have a diversity director, as so many right. schools did in the 90s. Correct. And the other person we had that was connected was Bill Green, who was assistant head of school, black man. He was an older black man even then, um, lived an incredibly long time, beautiful life. And... Um, he and Johnny Foreman approached me one day as a student and say, we want to send you to a conference with us. I said, well, what is this about? And he said, diversity. And I was like, oh, I don't know. You know, I got stuff to do. I got, you know, I was running different things. That's at school. I was like, oh, I don't think so. And then, and I remember Mr. Green turned and said, and he would always call me Beanhead, right? Let me tell you this, Beanhead. I'm not asking you. <laughs> You're going to go. I was like, Okay, well, then where are we going? These are like right an extension of my family pretty much at that point. That's what it was like to be in independent schools in the 90s. These black teachers with their black kids was like, that's like my grandfather. Okay, he told me I, it don't matter what I think. <laughs> and thank goodness, because somebody will see something in you that you didn't even see in yourself. And you got to, as we always say at SDLC, now trust the process. 
I almost blocked my own blessing by not trusting the process. <laughs> so we go, it's 50 of us sitting on a basement floor of a church in Philadelphia. That's the space they had rented for us. Two or three other adults. I can still see their faces. And the World Color Conference is happening at the hotel, the Marriott, or whatever it might be in Philly at the same time. And we're in there for like hours just talking about what are the issues students are facing? What are the things you need? What are the things you want to talk about at school that you couldn't talk about, right? All that stuff bubbling up. Mostly students of color, but I actually went there with a white student from Yeoman. So it was a multiracial coalition from the beginning. Oh. And at the end, of, and, so the, and our minds are just flowing. We got flip charts everywhere, all this stuff going on, right? Um, and in the midst of that, we were going through this process of building our conference, or at least naming all the things that we wanted to have. It was a lot of stuff to put in there. And it was all the stuff of the 90s, right? You've got the racial tensions going on. You've got economic tensions going on. You've got these schools that are saying they want the work, but not really knowing what these students need need and bringing them in, but not having a plan. It's kind of what I said about Brown versus Board of Education, right? They had legislation and a transportation plan, but they didn't have professional development for what we going to do when these black kids get here. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That was 1954. In 1985, they still hadn't made the plan. Correct. <laughs> Certainly not at independent schools where there was more ice. <laughs> and we didn't even really have a transportation plan. We wanted to take in the public bus to try to get to the puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, coming out of that, somebody said, okay, well, the next People of Color Conference was planned for Baltimore. And of course, I'm a Baltimore boy. Mm -hmm. um, and my people were going to be part of the leadership of PLCC. And so they needed a group of, from those 50, they needed a group of students who would be willing to be the founding committee of SDLC. We had decided that's what it would be named. Very simple. Student Diversity Leadership Conference. All the things we were about were about students, we were about diversity, we were about leadership, and we were building a conference, right? So the simplicity of it right there. And somebody said, again, I didn't volunteer for it. Somebody said, well, why well, need to be on that? And I said, wait a minute, I didn't say I was going to be on that. Now, I didn't even want to come do this. I like, I love y'all. We had a good time. It was transformative for me, right? Because I hadn't seen all those kids from around the country talking about what I was talking about. Right. Um, and they're like, but it's going to be in Baltimore. So I didn't get an option. <laughs> Voluntary. I'm on now the crew of like 10 kids. And it was between, they came from two places. They came from Baltimore and they came from New York because the next chair of SDL, of, the chair of what would be SDLC was Susan Hinkle, who was a diversity practitioner and a white woman. People don't know this. A white woman who was adopted into a black family was the first chair of SCLC and longtime chair coming out of um, Packer Collegiate. Mm -hmm. And so she had her crew of a couple kids from New York. Johnny Foreman had his crew of a couple kids from Baltimore. Sometimes we'd meet at Gilman. Sometimes we'd hop on that train and meet at Packer. But it was the 10 of us with Susan. And Susan was this just like Southern bell of a white woman and one time she had turned to me well what's the last step some flip charts i was like okay <laughs> 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 you mm -hmm. 
And, and we sat there and we were like, okay, this is what everybody said when we were in Philly. How do we, like the goals, right? How do we make this happen? We know we wanted to be interactive. We now need to build all this curriculum. And we wanted to be about identity. And it's not just race, but we know we want race to be a part of it. And so that's when we made Silent Movement because we knew we wanted race to be central. That's when we said, okay, we can do a lot of diversity discussions, but at some point we're going to need affinity groups because we don't want to lose the racial piece, but we want to talk about some other things too. So a lot of the basic structure of SDLC was made by me and those nine other kids, you know, 28 years ago. And it is tried and true, A, I think, because students built it for themselves. And B, we even wrote the norms. They, they, the norms have been there from the beginning. All that stuff lasted because it was all elastic, right? We put a structure now. But if you look at the silent movement from 1995, there are categories there that probably aren't there anymore and categories that are missing that we now have. Like we didn't do sexual orientation in 1995 uh. because no school was talking about that. I can remember when we did sexual orientation, it might've been near like 2000 and the kids went wild. <laughs> right, because now you an opportunity to, to, to be loud and proud and probably way more safe in 2000 than in 95 to be outing yourself. Way more safe and at the same time still very uncomfortable. Like you only had a handful of students. I, I wasn't even out at that time, so I wasn't even one of them. And you had students who were trying to literally, I can remember, trying to grab chairs to stand on to see who are the gay people in this room. From a standpoint of like, don't come near me. We used to rope off a little section of the dance that was the LGBTQ section. So people knew they were safe, right? Like, mm -hmm. I'm thinking about STLC mirrored the trajectory of independent schools, but now we don't do the dance anymore. But with the last dances we did, everybody was dancing with everybody all over the place, right? <laughs> right? But I can remember the section of like, so here's where you can be safe to dance, right? Like that, even within our diversity work. Right. Right. And just to clarify for the honor, silent movement is this exercise where if you are participating, you are given the opportunity to self-identify yourself in a number of core areas. Would that be a proper way to, to break that down? That's so, right. Like age, race, gender, religion, ability, now sexual orientation. I'm not even sure we did socioeconomic status in the first one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so for students who participate now, these years later, you know, it really sets the tone for how you're going to explore identity during the conference itself. You know, as you say, Rodney, it is, it is core to everything that is SDLC. I'm very interested getting this history that I have not had. And again, I've been in independent schools since right around the time that all this is, is getting started. I come into the POCC SDLC world in... 99 um, mm. as a teacher um, and knowing that again this this student piece is taking place i'm curious how you make sense of the idea that pocc in and of itself is not constructed at its dna the way you just talked about sdlc right and then therefore the tension that that causes for people coming to pocc like we talked about it earlier in, in our in a previous episode that Effectively, it's a homecoming for people of color, right? And those early diversity practitioners that you're talking about 
the Johnny Foremans, the Betty Ann Workmans, the, you know, I'm thinking of, um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'll even stop there because there's too many names. Um, but they were very much about a specific space, whereas SDLC, as you just know, that has this much more multiracial coalition of founders. How does that impact what SDLC has been allowed to grow to versus what POCC kind of struggles to grow to? I've got to call Randolph Carter's name. Got to call Randolph Carter. Absolutely. Gene Batiste. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, Gene Batiste. Yeah, right in there. Caroline was was in that mix before being VP of NAIF. Yeah, right. So, yeah, folks have been around that thing a long time. It was it was an important distinction and an intentional one. So, I definitely, even as a young person founding this, one of the things on the table was: Are we building a conference for students of color, or are we building a diversity conference? Mm -hmm. We were really clear. Now, I don't know what the founding discussions at the People of Color Conference were, but the name itself might suggest that what they were building right. when they started that in the 80s was yes. the People of Color Conference. And it would make sense for a product of the 80s. Absolutely. Right. When, again, you still have people fighting to get into <laughs> independent school communities and establishing themselves and feeling whole, for sure. Right. And, and for the for what the adults needed in the schools at that time and what even adults in the schools were allowed to talk about or share of themselves at that time, People of Color Conference made perfect sense. Um, for where we were, we were a little bit forward thinking those 50 students who sat down like, no, we want it to be about, you know, all the students to come, even though we know we wanted to center on race. So the, the first SDLCs were very, very heavily black, and and mainly students of color, very few white students. And the white students who came, I mean, came with a purpose. I can remember my boy, Michael Stanley, who graduated with me, class of 97 Gilman, was in that founding group with me, right? Um, but that white boy was definitely about anti-racism. Like, he wasn't coming in to learn. He was coming in to work. He had done it. <laughs> it was those white kids who were with us at that time, right? And you had certainly brown kids and yellow kids up in there too, but it was mostly black. And so, you know, for us, it was the realization of what we really wanted, which is, is what it was and has grown in, is a place where any students who felt marginalized and wanted to be a part of moving themselves and their schools forward could come to SDLC. And, and that tension, and that difference was really clearly articulated from the beginning. And it created more issues, I think, for PLCC than for SDLC, because once you had those two attached, mm -hmm. some people could have gotten confused that PLCC was, a, was, about, was not about centering race, but it always was. So we definitely had some tensions that flared up. Right around about 2000, 2001, where you had a critical mass of white students at SDLC and a critical mass of white participants at POCC. And that's some of the shift. If you think about what's happening in the 2000s, where the strength of white allies is growing, more white people being involved and interested in the work, play like these conferences are building up their reputations uh -huh. and independent schools are really trying to invest in the work, but they're still largely white schools, largely white students, largely white faculties. And so if they're sending a large number of students, who are you going to send? Correct. And, and participants. And participants, right? Who are you going to send? And at that time there was no cap. 
So I can also remember schools sending literally 20, 30 students mm -hmm. and then another 20, 30 faculty that's to PLCC. So, you know, spending big, big money, big numbers. And that's just what happened. And I remember on the student side and the PLCC side, there being an issue with what do we do with this? You know, they were the second largest group of participants in both those conferences next to the black participants who have always been the biggest of the contingents. But even to watch that go down on both sides at the same time, what we were able to say at SDLC is we were founded as a diversity conference, right? And, and so in that, in that way, y'all are always welcome at this table. Y'all were, y'all were a part of the founding of this table. And at the same, and I literally said this in this metaphor to the students there, because when the white students came at that time, there was some sense of this agenda feels much more focused on students of color. There's no place for us, right? You didn't build a spot for us. They had a white affinity group, but at 2000, right? White students in 2000 going to a white affinity group, like that is, <laughs> what is that struggle now in 2023? You can imagine 23 years ago trying to pull that together, right? Just the attention around what am I in this room identifying with? And I remember saying to them very clearly, let's be clear about students of color built this table and we built it inclusively. So you are welcome here, but we didn't build it to serve you at it. So when you come here, this is our restaurant. You come here, you're going to follow our rules, our norms, and you're going to do what we do, but we can't center you because if we center you, then we're giving you the thing we really built for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's the closest we came to, to saying in some ways, this is a younger version of a people of color conference, right? Like, right. And what I ended up saying was, this has always been about a place where the marginalized get centered. Mm -hmm. Whether that's sexual orientation, whether that's socioeconomic status, whether that's race, whether that's this is the place. So you can't bring that privilege. You can bring that privilege here, but it has to be deconstructed and worked through. You can't center that privilege here. People of color conference couldn't quite say the same thing, right? But they'd always been, they were never exclusive. They always had white people at the People of Color Conference as well. But what they could say that was different than what we could say is our founding mission is to support people of color in independent schools. So if you're coming, it's about that. These workshops are not for you. These speakers are not for you. You have to gather what you can from this space you've joined, but this space is about and for us. And wow, I mean, that was 23 years ago. We're still having that. <laughs> we're still having that tension and then it got nuanced right around okay so these people of color are coming in large number how do we look at intersectionality so at some point there was a question of so people of color who identify as lgbtq where can we find space mm -hmm. right um International people of color, where race might be a factor, but it's different. And uh -huh. we're coming to the comp. Where can we find space? So even the intersectionality of it all between those two was really interesting. Let me get you out of here because we could talk for days now. I don't want to take up all your time. It's a Friday happy hour for you already. So I want to end with because you touched on it that student piece that they take home. What do you when you sit down with the brain trust? What do you keep in mind that 
when these kids go home, I want them to be able to say this to administration. I want them to be able to engage with administration in this way. What are the core things that you have now kept in your mind these 30 years that is a through line that you want for students to take home from SDLC? I love that question. And the last one, this is, to me, the reason why SDLC has, has grown so much in its respect, its power, and its number over these 30 years is it's not a concept or research or some key idea. It is a feeling. And it is watching how that feeling gets manifested in a school-like environment that gives you hope that your school could be like that. So I can remember, you know, we just hit the 30th. At the 25th anniversary, Susan Hinkle, that first chair, came back. She's now at her 80s, right? Still kicking, still doing the work. But she hadn't been back for a long time. And I hadn't seen her in a long time. And she welcomed the students and said her thing. And then she watched the opening and heard some from the kids. She talked to different people. And before she left, she hugged me and she said, and it'll bring tears to my eyes, right? Because she had brought a picture of me sitting on the floor with her and Tanae. And Tanae was a student from New York. And she and I like hit it off and she actually was my prom date. Like that's how it all, like there's always been family at SDLC. Mm -hmm. So we're sitting there like creating something with flip charts and markers with my little young self. And she said, look at you there. And you, you found it now. You found what was the essence of what this was always supposed to be. And you preserved it over time. And I said, well, what, what is that? She said, it's love. Mm. Y'all wanted to build a place where y'all could be loved. And that's what this is today. And then that's what it stands for. And when you hear kids, I mean, we just came from it in St. Louis, right? What did kids say? I finally feel like I can be myself. I finally feel like I found people who see me and see me in all my complications and love me anyway. I finally found a place where we don't have to agree but we can still love each other, respect each other, and have a good time. I finally found a place that feels like what I thought school and maybe even the world should feel like. And I know it can exist because I was here. And so that's why at the 25th anniversary, I named that the, the theme song of SDLC is Home from the Wiz. Because there's a part in the way, right? When I, it, people always say it feels like a home, right? So it's fitting there. But there's that line in that that says, um, you taught me how to love. Right? This world might be a fantasy, but it taught me how to love, and so it's real for me. And just that is the essence of STLC. Like, you leave it, you can't quite explain it. You're not quite sure you're even there. <laughs> but somewhere in your heart, you're like, I saw a place. <laughs> I felt a place where we could be. And if I could go back to my school, and, and actually my kids from SDLC this year said that to me. I had lunch with them yesterday, and I said, what's your biggest takeaway? And they said, our school's pretty good, but our school could be that. How do we make our school that? Yeah. So there it is from the man himself, you know, an understanding of why when you go to independent schools in particular, if you had the opportunity to go to SDLC, encourage your kids to go to SDLC, you absolutely should because they will most certainly understand a, a sense of love and affirmation that they don't get anywhere else. 
Rodney, I thank you. I appreciate you. You know, I love you. Every time you call, I come running. Um, you know, so I was about perhaps a sabbatical year next year to, to really be there for my senior son. Perhaps we'll see. Yeah. Okay. Perhaps. <laughs> I'm 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 there with you hundred percent. So I thank you for your time and we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Yes, yes. All uh all righty, sir. There he is, and there he goes, the Dr. Rodney Glasgow. Pleasure to have him on. Hope you enjoyed that interview. I certainly got a lot out of it, as I do every time I get to converse with Rodney. That brings us to the end of another episode of Taking Notes. Again, this holiday season, I'm really feeling the opportunity to be able to reach out to folks and offer more than one episode a week. So I'm going to try and keep that going through the holidays. We'll see you next week in the aftermath of early decision for college applicants. The views expressed by John Carroll and his guest in the preceding podcast are solely that of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers, companies, or other associated parties. Mm -hmm.